please open your Bibles. I'll throw the scripture up here, but some of you like to read directly from your Bibles. And so um, Exodus chapter 17, please. Chapter 17, give you a chance to get there. Then Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose men for us and go out, fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Joshua did as Moses told him and fought against Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So it came about when Moses held his hand up that Israel prevailed. And when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. Then they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other. Thus his hands were steady until the sun set. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Uh, this particular event occurred soon after the Israelites left Egyptian cap uh, captivity and it was one of their first military encounters during their time uh, in the desert. Now the uh, Amalekites uh, were a nomadic people who lived in that area of the desert. And of course it would be natural for them to feel threatened by such a large mass of people you know, in their territory. Uh, we know that they became uh, traditional enemies of the Jews uh, later on, continually forming alliances with the enemies of the Jewish people. Now, the Israelites had spent four centuries in captivity and therefore had no experience in organized warfare. The Egyptians didn't give them any training in military <laughs> strategy or military might. So they had no, no organized army. Um, they had not even selected and trained any to serve as soldiers by this point in their, in their, um, in their history. In verse nine, we see Moses giving instructions to Joshua to select men to go out and face the Amalekites. And the one, he makes only one guarantee. The one guarantee he makes is that he will stand before them with the staff of God in his hand. That's the only thing he promises that he will do for them. Now the staff or the, the shepherd's staff had been used by Moses to part the Red Sea and also to bring forth water from a rock in the desert. So it was a significant symbol of power and strength and of God's intervention on behalf of his people. And so Moses was asking his people to go face an enemy and trust in the Lord for the victory. No training, very few weapons, no strategy. His only promise was, I'll be there with you, with the staff of God. But you go ahead and fight this experienced people, this experienced soldiers, um, uh, and uh, everything, will be, everything will be fine. Then we read how when Moses held up his hand, meaning that he held up the staff, the Israelites would gain the upper hand in the battle. However, with time, Moses grew weary and he could not hold up the staff 
and consequently the people would begin to lose ground. I don't believe that there was less power going on. It's just that when the people didn't see the staff, they felt discouraged perhaps and started to, you know, to back away and be frightened. And when they saw the staff, the Lord's with us and they would, they would, take, they would take courage. So upon seeing this, Joshua and her sat Moses down and they supported his hands to enable him to keep the staff up until the battle was won by the end of the day and the Israelites had secured the victory. A little bit of what is depicted here in this, uh, in this painting. You know, in this very brief but colorful account, we learn some very important things about leadership and about how to honor that leadership. And I'd like to share a very brief lesson tonight, but I'd like to share a couple of lessons on leadership that, um, that we learn from this uh, episode. The first lesson, pretty obvious. There we go. First lesson, leaders are necessary. Leaders are necessary. Nothing happens without leadership. The first thing that God did when he decided to release his people from Egypt was to raise up a leader, Moses. Now when you saw him, you might not have thought he'd be a great leader. He was rather reluctant at the beginning. Uh, but we know that God was you know, uh, confident in his, uh, in his choice. In, his, in this first military challenge faced by the people, it was the leader who made the decision. It was the leader who set the plan in motion. It was the leader who remained before the people until the victory was won. I repeat, nothing happens without leadership. And this is especially true in the church. Unless someone says, I will do this. Unless someone says, I will take care of that. Unless someone steps up and says, I will lead others in order to complete this task or this ministry, nothing happens until leaders take ownership of certain ministries, whatever it is, visiting the sick and the widowed or delivering food or working with the youth or taking care of the building, nothing happens unless someone steps up to the task. You can dream up all kinds of projects and good works uh, that, you, that you want to do. But without a leader, they rarely get done. And I'm not talking simply about elders. I'm talking about people who will uh, demonstrate leadership in a particular area or for a particular task. Right? The most important thing ever done in this congregation in its 80 year history here at Choctaw is that elders were appointed at a, a very early stage in the church's development. And it is because of that leadership, that constant, consistent, faithful leadership, decade after decade, and some among us who have served for a very long time, but we've had many uh, good men and their wives, uh, uh, men who served as, uh, as elders in this congregation. Uh, this congregation did not stagnate. When a problem arose, the leaders stepped up to care for it. 
when it was time to expand the building or change the building, the, the, the original church was uh, in, in, Choct in downtown Choctaw, when, it was, when that uh, was no longer suitable, the leader stepped up and said, we, we've got to do something about this, and then, then secured the land uh, at this corner. And then it was leaders who said, let's raise the money to build a building here because of the future. It didn't look that promising when there was no building here. This was just grass, there was nothing here. But those who were leaders at that time saw into the future and they inspired the congregation to follow their leadership. And so a building was built. And you know, it's not just about the building. The building represents something. It represents confidence. It represents hope for the future. It says to the community, we're here to stay. We're going to do something here. We're going to preach the gospel from this place. We're going to minister to people. People are going to get married here and they'll have their burial services here. And small children will grow into becoming teenagers here. And people will marry here and have families here. All these things take place somewhere. And the building where the church meets is important in this sense. And it requires leadership to say when we are going to do this and how we are going to do this or who is going to do this. And so we've had and continue to have good leadership in this church. I think of leaders like Moses here. In other words, leaders who actually lead these kind of leaders make the difference between success and failure in any organization, including the church. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, Paul says that God gives gifts to the church. And then he describes these gifts. And here are the gifts that he describes that God gives to the church. He says, <laughs> God gives apostles to the church and prophets to the church and evangelists to the church, and elders and teachers to the church. Those are the gifts, pardon me, those are the gifts that God gives to His church. Note, if you will, that every gift that God gives to the church is a different form of leadership. Each of these roles provides a different form of leadership for the church. Uh, it's a sorry thing when a church has no leadership. I mean, I've worked in the mission field and I've, uh, for, for, for many years, and uh, one of the more difficult things uh, in any mission church is to raise up leaders. It takes a long time, decades at times, but when you finally have them, it's amazing the growth and development of the church when someone is able to say, when a group of men are able to say, we're going to go this way, we're going to do this, we're going to invest in this. Instead of having you know, a, a congregational meeting where it's so difficult to make a concrete decision uh, or to launch out in something uh, uh, that, is, uh, that is difficult. Uh, another important thing about the leadership that is taught uh, in this uh, brief uh, story is this. Um, the quality of leadership often determines the degree of success that peoples have. The quality of leadership often determines the degree of success. I've witnessed churches that have had leaders and those leaders have run the church into the ditch. <laughs> and I think you've seen this happen in different places. 
even in uh, Oklahoma City, we won't name any names, but I've, I've seen congregations that had tremendous promise, tremendous resources. You think they, they just can't miss, they've got everything they need, but the weak leadership among them uh, led to the destruction of uh, several congregations here uh, in, in the city. And so the quality of leadership often determines the degree of success that a church has. A second lesson, leaders carry a heavy responsibility. You know, the staff represented God's authority. And as the story shows, it was a heavy burden to carry. It's not that the stick was heavy. The idea is that the leadership is, is marvelous if it's entrusted to you. It's a wonderful thing that God has called you to, to be in a form of leadership, but it's a heavy thing as well. It's a difficult thing. It's a burden. And this story demonstrates the burden that it is to a great man like Moses. You know, leaders in any enterprise have the final responsibility which ultimately decides the success or the failure of that organization. I mean, just look at the fall of companies and even nations because of corrupt uh, leadership. But worldly leaders, well, they're over things and their responsibility and authority are only temporary. In the church, however, Leaders carry the responsibility for souls and souls are eternal. And because souls are eternal, the burden for souls is very heavy. It's very important. It's serious business. This is what makes the burden so difficult and heavy. It's what makes the responsibility so awesome. You know, I think we forget this idea when we become impatient or frustrated when things don't move quickly enough in the church, or when our leaders are perhaps uh, uh, too careful, or too conservative, or overly prudent in certain matters and certain decisions. We forget that what is at stake for the leadership is not just the immediate project or the immediate results of, of, of what we say or do as a church. Uh, what is at stake are the souls and, and how every decision that the leaders make will affect every soul over which God has made the leaders responsible. And so they have to take their time. They have to think things uh, through. They have to imagine how will this affect everybody, not just one interesting, interested group, but how will what we decide affect all the groups, the children as well as, uh, as the seniors. In the end, uh, leaders have to answer to God for the church and for the souls and for the unity of the body that they have been entrusted with. You know, it's easy to play fast and loose or take chances with something that you don't have to answer for. That's easy. But leaders, especially elders, they don't have that luxury. I appreciate the kind of men who have been elders for many years and in that time have managed to serve this church in such a way as to keep this congregation from dividing and has maintained in this church sound doctrine and sound teaching. The one thing that we are known for, you know, my advantage here is I and Marty and those who work in ministry, we get to travel a little bit. We get to go to other churches 
And the thing that they say about this congregation over and over again, what a wonderful family this is. People who visit here always remark on the idea that they felt so much love among the members. Not just love, you know, uh, welcoming guests. I mean, we can, everybody does that. Everybody welcomes the guests. Their comment is the kind of attention and love that they witness between the members. Uh, people have said to me, you people, you like each other. <laughs> you like each other. You enjoy being together. Well, that doesn't just happen by accident. I've often said, and I, I don't say it certainly to, uh, uh, as a challenge uh, uh, to God, uh, but in, in the years that this congregation has existed, as I say, this fall be 80 years, there's never been a division in this congregation. Nobody has you know, uh, uh, rounded up 25 people and said, you know what, we don't like the way things are handled over here. We're going to go over to this place over here and buy a little piece of land. We're going to start our own church. That's never happened here. And I pray to God it never will happen. But it happens a lot at other places. There's a reason that that never happened. And the reason that it's never happened is that the leadership has always been very sensitive about the unity of this congregation. Nobody just gets their way because they want to get their way. We try to follow the scripture. We try to do the things that love would do in various situations. The, the greatest proof of that in my, from my perspective I don't get my way every time. <laughs> and I think that that's probably a good thing. This is no easy task over a long period of time. You can do it over a couple of months or a couple of years, but can, to do that you know, decade after decade, especially in this world, very difficult. It's one of the great blessings that we have. It's also one of the attractive things about our, our congregation. Again, I'm talking up our congregation as if I'm uh, boasting. Well, I'm boasting in our love. I'm boasting in the things that have happened uh, over the years that we can see. Uh, are we perfect? Well, of course not. Uh, we fuss, we, you know, we have disagreements. And, but doesn't that happen in every family? You, know, you can't take 400 sinners and pack them together in one building and think that you know, there won't be any fallout at any time. Of course. But everyone here understands that the goal of the instruction from the pulpit and the classroom is that we love one another with a clear conscience. And that we understand that God requires of us that we love one another. Why? Because Men will know that we are sincere disciples of Jesus. How? In the way we treat one another. If we cannot treat one another in a loving and kind and forgiving way, how can we treat people on the outside of the church in that way? And so not to get too far away from my idea, church leadership has a great role to play in maintaining the unity 
of the body. Uh, another uh, lesson from this, uh, from this passage is that leaders need the help of the congregation to do their jobs properly. Leaders are necessary, absolutely, and they do carry a heavy responsibility and it's good for them to understand and be reminded of this fact. But they can't lead in a vacuum. <laughs> you know, it doesn't all happen at the elders meeting. The church must cooperate. Although Moses was the chosen leader and he knew what to do and he was ready and willing to do it, in the end, he was still only a man, a weak and sinful man in the need of support and help. His work and duty was right and holy, but his ability to accomplish it was limited. And so God provided others to help him. Note the way that Joshua and Hur assisted Moses. Very interesting. They didn't criticize him for his weakness. Why did we get this old guy to hold the staff up? We got plenty of young guys here who are plenty strong enough who could hold that thing up with one finger for a day. Why are we we're asking this guy? He can barely stand up. They didn't criticize him for his weakness. They didn't despise him because he was not able to hold the staff up alone. Could you imagine that type of criticism? Here he goes again, you know, getting way ahead of everybody, saying he's going to hold the staff up and now we, you know, we're going to lose the whole battle because he decided he was going to hold the staff up. And he, he should have delegated. Notice also that they didn't try to take over his position because of his weakness. Get out of there. You can move over. Let me get, get. It wasn't about the stick being up in the air. Notice also that they provided help and support to enable him to both keep his position and complete his task. If there was ever a time where there was a temptation to usurp authority, to undercut authority, I mean, the guys are out there, they're fighting. You notice every time he, he lets the staff down, we're, we're, we're going to lose the battle to the Amalekites. Well, certainly God wouldn't want us to lose the battle to the Amalekites. Ruin his plan. No, 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 no. Let's just, let's just take it away from him. You know, we, we can do a better job. They didn't do that. They enabled him, Moses, to keep his position and to complete the task as it was set forth. Leaders cannot lead effectively if others refuse to follow. And also if others refuse to help. The Hebrew writer exhorts those who follow in the following way. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Her, uh, Hebrews 13, uh, 17. If a man devotes his life and resources to caring for you, your soul, and we do not cooperate or help or respect them for their effort, 
we're fighting not only against them, we're also fighting ourselves and will ultimately answer to God for our actions. Yes, leaders have a heavy burden of responsibility that they need to discharge properly, but we also have a responsibility to follow and support them in the task that God has given to them. Churches that are unified and filled with love and growing and serving are churches that have leaders who work hard at leading and followers who work just as hard at following. There's nothing more discouraging as a leader to be leading a people who will not follow. More elders quit their job because the sheep will just not follow. You know, in our society, we find ways to honor actors and athletes, even people who live on an island for a month or so. You know, we will give them a million bucks if they can survive on an island. And that's fine. That's entertainment. It's all good. I think, however, it's more important for us to honor our church leaders who, because of their love for God, have accepted the responsibility to lead and care for our Christian family. They deserve honor as well. Let us therefore value their role and respect them for it. Let us also pray for them, recognizing the burden that is uniquely theirs. Have you ever thought, uh, why is it that man has to leave his family after supper and go to the hospital to see Sister Stone. Why, why that man? Why not that man and that man and that man and that man and that man? Why him? Let's be ready to hold up their hands in their work so we can all share in the victory when Jesus when Jesus comes. And so I ask if you're one of those souls in the care of our elders and you are in the need for spiritual encouragement or prayer or perhaps you need to confess Christ or be baptized, whatever, or you're a soul who needs to be restored or you're a soul who needs prayer for illness or strength or you're a soul that wants to identify with this congregation. Our elders, you ever notice when we do the song of invitation? We have the song leader leading it. We have the preacher down there you know, looking at everybody, seeing if someone is willing to come forward. But you ever notice all of our elders are standing in front as well. Why? Because it's an opportunity for them to minister to the church in some way. Not the only opportunity, they have other responsibilities and opportunities, but at that particular moment, they are ready as the shepherds, as the leaders of our congregation to minister directly to the congregation. Don't ever go home and say, well, you know, I don't know, nobody, nobody cares about me, nobody cares about my problems. You know, I mean, I wish the elders would care more about me and blah, 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 blah. Well, they're calling on you to come and tell them what you need. 
three times a week and are ready to follow up if necessary. Let's never denigrate our leaders for what they are not doing or what we perceive they may not be doing. Let us instead include them on a regular basis and their families in our prayers that they may continue the good leadership that we have had here for many, many years. And I would encourage all of us also to begin praying that God raises up more leaders in the future. Like we see younger men are stepping up to lead singing, to teach classes and so on and so forth. We want this congregation to continue for decades to come. And for that to take place, we need to raise up younger men, other men who will step forward to be trained and to be nurtured and mentored in the role of leadership for this church. Let that be a topic and subject of our prayers and our supplication before God. In any case, if anyone here at the moment, this moment, needs a ministry, the encouragement from our shepherds, they are here. They are ready and willing to meet the needs of anyone who would want to come forward at this time as we sing the song of encouragement. Shall we stand in order to do that, please?